Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome, everyone, to Long Ball Legacies. I'm your host, Daniel Port. Thank you so much for joining me today. We have an exciting topic here to talk about. The season is over. It was a great, great 2022 season. There are a lot of players who added to their legacies that we'll talk about here someday on this podcast, and there are some who have harmed them or changed them. It just was an incredible season. It was very, very fun, and we're glad we got to spend it with you here at Pitcher List. Today, we're actually going to talk about one of the heroes of the postseason and of uh, the recent World Series, and that's going to be Jose Altuve. Jose Altuve is a fascinating and polarizing character in in baseball. There are so many different angles and ways to look at his legacy and, and think about what he means to baseball, both good and bad, and really misrepresent his impact as a player, his impact as a Venezuelan. There's a lot of different things to consider here before we even get into the things that he had to overcome to even make it to the majors. He's famously just five foot five. He's incredibly small for a major league baseball player. And to overcome that is incredibly impressive, regardless of how you feel about some of the things we'll get into, like the, uh, the Astros uh, cheating scandals in 2017 and things like that. And we'll dive into all of that, but it, it's just important to think about Jose Altuve in the sense of he's a very polarizing figure. And everyone's going to feel one way or the other about him. That shouldn't also cloud just how good of a player he was. But to kick things off with Jose Altuve, he's he had a 12-year career uh, so far with the Astros as he is still playing. He's only 32. He's 24th all-time in Jaws among second basemen already. He has 46.5 career B-War, which is 29th all-time. We're using B-War primarily because uh, I realize I've never explained this before, but because that is then what J. Jaffe uses for Jaws, which then is often used for determining Hall of Fame arguments. So that's why I bring that up and use that one. He has a 39.8 what's called War 7, which is his best seven-year stretch war-wise. And... He's 17th all-time among second basemen in War 7. He's an eight-time All-Star. He has five Silver Sluggers so far and a Gold Glove. He is currently tied for top 10 in top 5 MVP shares. Only he and Robinson Cano are amongst the top 15 in top 5 NBA shares among second basemen and not in the Hall of Fame. He has 1,935 hits so far. That's 34th all-time for second baseman. And he has 192 home runs, which sits 19th all-time for second baseman. He's just 60 home runs from catching Brett Boone and entering the top 10 among second baseman all-time. His 279 stolen bases are 29th all-time, which is just 64 from being in the top 20. Which is really, as you start diving through the numbers that Jose Altuve has put up throughout his career... It's hard not to be impressed. It's hard not to think this is a guy who, because again, remember, those numbers are only over 12 years. He's not done yet. In fact, we'll get to it, but he just had a really great season. So he's still going strong. This is a guy who likely will end up being able to cement himself amongst the best second baseman ever period done and it's really fun to get that perspective. And we want to keep that in mind as we go through his career here uh, year by year. To get some background information, he was born in Venezuela. In fact, as some fun facts, he befriended Salvador Perez at seven years old. They often played together and against each other throughout their entire careers, including their childhood, uh, which is just a, a fascinating sort of meet cute, so to say. He first started catching the Astros' attention at 16 when he attended the Astros' camp. They had a facility down there in Venezuela. And if you recall, go back and listen to the podcast I do with Carlos Marcano, who's just when we talked about Johan Santana in Venezuela and we dove into sort of how those camps worked back then because he was another uh, famous player who went through that Astros camp down there and how that impacted Venezuela and what those camps looked like. So go back and listen to that episode because we talk about it quite a bit, but this was a unique thing going on at the time. But this is where ultimately first catches the Astros' attention, especially uh, a scout slash coach named, named Al Pedrique. And he was also from the same hometown as Altuve in Venezuela. And you know, where Altuve's legends always say he was being constantly dismissed because of his size. At the time when he shows up at this camp at 16 years old, he's 5'5 and about 140 pounds. I can tell you I'm 
five eight, and at the time, I think when I was like sixteen, I was probably like one hundred thirty pounds or so. That's tiny. It's really tiny. I think it's important to, to, to talk here that like that size is not it's not easily dismissed. That size as a fielder, he obviously is much smaller range that he can cover because of his wingspan. Uh, he makes up for it with the speed, but that was certainly something that caught a lot of scouts' attention. Obviously, taller pitchers would have an advantage over him. All these sort of things, and this didn't matter to to Patrick who really was just impressed with Altuve's work ethic. He was really impressed with his speed and his athleticism and his ability to hit the ball. And he really pushed the Astros to pursue Altuve, who just really talks a lot about wanting to play in the majors, have a shot. And so at this camp, he ends up impressing Houston officials. And with Padrique's pushing, they signed him in 2007 as an undrafted free agent for $15,000, which is just a, a almost embarrassing...
amount for signing a player. And he does fantastic. He flies through the minors, going from, in 2007, being undrafted, to reaching double A in 2011. And when he gets there in double in A, he demolishes the ball. He hits 389 with 24 stolen bases, 22 doubles, 10 triples, and 10 home runs in 87 games at double A. That's half a season. He was essentially on a full minor league season. It's a little bit less than 162 games. But if that was at the major league level, you're talking about, what, 48 stolen bases, 44 doubles, 20 triples, and 20 home runs. It's insane. It's an incredible season. And at this point, because Patrick was a coach, you can hear in basically any interview Altuve gives, he talks about what the impact Patrick had on him. And it's really impressive. It's clearly a person who meant a lot to Altuve, especially for taking a shot on him and for then being there for him and guiding him through this process. So there in 2011, Houston calls him up for the final 57 games of the season. And he does pretty well. He hits 276. He has 10 doubles over the time period with two home runs and seven stolen bases. And for a, a call-up at, what was I believe, 21, not too bad, not too shabby, you know what I mean? And it's worth noting at this point, the Astros are terrible. They lose 100 games that season. They are not good. And so there wasn't really a lot standing in Altuve's path to playing time there at that point. And this carries over to the next year because in 2012, he gets a starting second base job. He plays 147 games there. And he does quite well. If you think of this as essentially his actual rookie year, he hits 290. He has 34 doubles, seven home runs, 80 runs scored, and 33 stolen bases. He goes to his first all-star game that year, and the Astros still end up losing 100-plus games. It's a testament to how he can have a player play really well, and if the team stinks, the team stinks, right? But this is where Altuve starts catching everyone's eyes, especially uh, this is still in an era where we have a lot of fun with heavy stolen base numbers, and so speed was important. It was a very interesting thing to see this guy break out, especially, again, considering his size. This was so unique and so unusual that you, you were hearing pundits talk about this constantly, especially once he went to the All-Star game, it became a bigger story. It was just really cool and really fascinating to see happen. Altuve does it in 2012. And then moves in 2013. I wouldn't necessarily categorize this as a sophomore slump, so to say, but it definitely you could see some of the growing pains. And I talk a lot about how this isn't necessarily uncommon even for great players because you come up as a rookie, you play, and you do well, and then the league makes an adjustment to you. And then it's up to you as the player to make the adjustment back. And either you do, and you continue playing as a major leaguer, or you don't, and that either becomes a weakness for your entire career, or you wash out, right? And Altuve, I think that kind of roughed him up a little bit at the beginning of the year, but he makes some adjustments and still plays pretty well. He's 283 with 31 doubles. He only hits five home runs, has 64 runs scored, and steals 35 bases. And the lack of power, it's interesting if you just walked into Jose Altuve now, who's like a you know yearly 25-plus to 30 home run hitter. It's weird to hear him hitting only five home runs, but we'll get there in a minute as he progresses through his career. And again, Houston loses 100-plus games here, but obviously Altuve shines. Very impressive start to his career. So around mid-season or so, the Astros sign Altuve to a four-year extension. Basically buying out those last years of control and giving him, I believe, as an option through 2018 and 2019 at this point. Very exciting, you know, breakthrough for this player who no one had really necessarily noticed or heard of before. So then we go into from 2013 to 2014. And this is when the Astros start building the core of what we for a long time thought of as the, like the core Astros during their sort of peak years. And uh, this is where they add, they'll add George Springer this year in 2014. And you, like, uh, you can see in interviews where Altuve obviously was having a hard time after back-to-back seasons of losing 100-plus games. And the organization begged him to be patient was the way that Altuve tells the story. Just be patient. We have a plan. We have an idea. And Altuve's okay. And that's when he signed that extension. And Altuve is just an incredible season. He hits 341 with 255 hits, 47 doubles, just seven home runs, but scores 85 runs and steals 56 bases. Led the league in it that year. And he starts to really make a name for himself by doing some really incredible feats. And you'll see this sort of crop up every single year. On June 29th in 2014, Altuve steals two bases in a game. This was facing the Detroit Tigers. And this made him the first Major League Baseball player since Ray Chapman in 1917 to steal two or more bases in four consecutive games. That's crazy. That's just you, you start thinking about that at some point by the time you get to game four, like catchers just looking for you to do it, right? There's pitch outs, there's, and they know you're going to do it, and he does it anyways. It's just a testament to just how fast he was. And it's also important to remember when you think about it, if you want to ask yourself, just how fast was he? Again, remember, he's 5'5, five, five, so this comes into play with his wingspan, too. He has to actually go farther to steal a base than uh, a tall player might have to. Sometimes I was just watching a Back in the playoffs just recently, a friend of mine was asking how Aaron Judge is able to steal bases. He was not like the fastest guy. I'm like, it doesn't hurt that, you know, 
when he slides, he basically has to go practically a foot shorter than half the other players. Those things come into play here. So it's even more impressive that he steals so many bases considering he is smaller. That's just a testament to his speed. Within this season also, Altuve becomes the first Major League Baseball player since 1933 to have 130 hits and 40 stolen bases before the All-Star break. Just incredibly impressive. He is named to his second All-Star game. He's worth 5.5 war that year and wins the Silver Slugger Award. On September 16th, Altuve hits a single up the middle that this sets the Houston Astros record for hits in a season, breaking Craig Biggio's record of 210 hits. He's the first Astro to win the batting title. And the, while Houston does not make the playoffs this, this year, I believe they still lose like 90 plus games or so. You see it all starting to come together here. So from 2014 to 2015, and this is where we really see this core group come together. So they add Carlos Correa that year as a rookie. And... Altuve just responds with another huge season. He has another 200-hit season. He hits 313 with 15 home runs, 40 doubles, 86 runs scored, and leads the league for the second year in a row with 38 stolen bases. And we start to see some of the, the power creeping up. As you see, there's 15 home runs. It's over double what he hit the year before. And it's really fascinating to ask yourself, why? How does he start hitting for power again? Because he's so small. This is a funny story I don't want to care about, but... I actually remember reading about this because I'm a small guy. I'm only 5'8", uh, and I'm not 150 pounds. Sadly, I'm like 200, but I'm not a very big guy. I'm more of, I'm built like a character from, from Minecraft. I'm just a big box, right? <laughs> wide shoulders, wide hips. Uh, I'm Greek. Uh, I'm just short and, and wide. And I remember trying to figure out how I could hit. I play softball, and I was trying to figure out how I could hit for power, being so small, because I wasn't quite as fast as I used to be. I was just trying to hit for a little more power, and everything I, every, like, video I looked for around this time. Everything I looked up just kept sending me videos of Jose Altuve. And they talked about this change that he made in the way he swings to start hitting for more power was what people started talking about. So it's, it's interesting as you see this start to happen here. He's worth four war that year. He goes to his third All-Star game. He wins the Gold Glove that year and the Silver Slugger Award. And he finishes 10th in MVP votes. The Astros win 86 games. So they end up making the playoffs on the last day of the season, which is huge considering, again, just two years ago, they were losing 100-plus games for the third year in a row. So it's a big turnaround for this team as, you know, this young core starts to take off. And for the most part, they, they don't go far. Altuve largely struggles in the wildcard game, and which they win. But then they go into the ALDS against the Royals, who end up, I believe, going to the World Series that year. And they, he struggles over the five games that they, they play in that series. We move on to 2016. And this is where we bring Alex Bregman into the fold. So we keep adding to that young core. And... Altuve, again, just shines. This is one of his best seasons, if not his, his potentially his best. He gets his third consecutive 200-plus hit season with 216 hits. But he adds now this unseen element uh, of power that we hadn't seen before. He has 24 home runs on the season to go along with 42 doubles, 30 stolen bases, 96 RBIs, and 108 runs scored. By the way, he hit 338 that season, and he had a, a 155 OPS plus on the season. So just explodes with power out of nowhere. And we'll try to paint this a little bit later with the scandals and things we find out later. But for now, a lot of that, like I said, was about mechanical changes and different things that he was doing with his swing to try and hit for more power. So uh, that year is worth 7.9 more. He finishes third in MVP voting and goes to his third consecutive All-Star game and wins his third consecutive Silver Slugger Award. He wins AL Player of the Month in June. He collects his thousandth hit on August 16th, which occurs in just 786 career games. That's an Astros record. And it's one of the fastest ever to do. The Astros win just 84 games that season, though, and miss the playoffs. So now we've got this young core of Altuve, Correa, Bregman, and Springer. And this team just seems rare and ready to go. And we get to 2017, and that's really, when you're talking about the Astros, that's the year of destiny, for better or for worse, right? Altuve is a fantastic year. He hits 346 with a 957 OPS. That's uh, 160 OPS plus with 32 stolen bases, 81 RBIs, 112 runs scored, and leads the league with 204 hits. He goes to his fourth consecutive All-Star game and wins his fourth consecutive Silver Slugger Award, and he wins the MVP award. He's only the second Astro to ever win the award. He just has a fantastic season. And just to give you an idea of just how well he hit this season, let's look at Altuve's July in 2017. He's so good he hits 485 for the month. That's the fifth highest total in a single month since 1961. He has a 1.251 OPS over that time period. This includes a 19-game hitting streak. And in that streak, he has five consecutive multi-hit games over that time period. He wins AL Player of the Month. It's just utterly incredible. This is probably one of the best months any hitter has ever had, period. And to think of it this way, on just how good this season was, he's just the fifth hitter since integration to have four straight 200-hit seasons. The other four, Kirby Puckett, Wade Boggs, Ichiro, and Michael Young. So pretty good company to be in there. 
He's also the first hitter in Major League Baseball history to lead his uh, league in hits four years in a row. He wins his third consecutive batting title. He's worth 7.7 war that year. He wins a Lou Gehrig Memorial Award. He ends the season with 1,250 hits. Only Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron, and Pete Rose had more hits before they were the age of 27. Now, obviously, caveat to Ichiro in that Ichiro probably was up there too, but was playing over in Japan, which I think counts, but nonetheless. Houston wins uh, 102 games that season and makes the playoffs, and Altuve thrives. And this is one of the big parts of Altuve's legacy is when you talk about Houston in the playoffs, Altuve is the guy. He's incredible in the playoffs. First, they face Boston in the ALDS, and in game one, just the first game, he hits three home runs, Altuve does. And he's just the 10th player to do so in the playoffs. He hits 533 in the series with eight hits in four games with a 1.765 OPS. Then they go on and face the Yankees in the ALCS. He scores the game-winning run in game two. He hits a solo home run in game seven. He has two home runs in the season. He hits 320 with a 974 OPS and another four RBIs and five runs. They go on and they face the Dodgers in the World Series that year. In the series, he hits another two home runs. So you're talking, what, three, two, so it's five. He's hit seven home runs across this playoff run. He gets another six RBIs. He scores four runs across seven games. And so he only hits 194 in the series, but every hit seemed to matter. One of his home runs was actually an extra innings home run in game two, which is one of the more epic playoff games I've ever seen in my life. I think there are four extra inning home runs hit between both teams in that game. It was just wild. He ends up hitting 310 with a 1.022 OPS for the playoffs that year with 14 runs scored, 14 RBIs, and seven home runs. Now... We'll jump a little bit ahead history and we'll come back to it, historically speaking. Because we know in 2019 that between the videos and stuff done by John Boy and a reporting done by The Athletic, we find out that the Astros were using video and apparently a trash can of some sort making noise to steal signs from the opposing teams, which is a blatant disregard for Major League Baseball rules and in general, you know, being a good sportsman and, and human being. And there's a lot of controversy going throughout all this uh, and a lot of mixed feelings. And I'll talk at length about this and kind of how I feel about the Astros and their legacy more when we get down the line. But obviously, we hate cheating. We hate cheaters. This is something that we just, I, like, I have a hard time dealing with. And more so, I know, because you, if you listen to past podcasts, you'll know I have a pretty lenient stance on steroids. But this feels different. And maybe, I'll, I'll like I said, when we talk in general, we're going to rank Altuve. I'll talk a little more about that. But obviously, this is... This puts all of 2017 and his MVP award and all these different things in in a poor light. You know, it makes me think of, say, when Ryan Braun won uh, the MVP while doing steroids. And it took a long time for anyone to really admit it was going on and whatnot. But Altuve was one of the players who really was the only one that actually, like, at least attempted an apology. He said, I'm not going to say to you that it was good. It was wrong. We feel bad. We feel remorse. Like I said, the impact on the fans, the impact on the game, we feel bad. And obviously, take it with a grain of salt. Be cynical about it if you want. And I am to a certain degree. But also, you know, that's what we ask of athletes, you know, is to come apologize and make good on it. And it's worth noting they continue to perform well after this. And he was also noted that year for his interactions in the uh, aftermath of Hurricane Harvey there in Houston. That, that he was named the Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year for it, for the things that he did to help Houston during that time period. So, you know, there, there's layers to this situation. In the offseason, he signs a five-year, $151 million contract, which is the largest in team history at the time. And, uh, you know, plows on into 2018. It's worth noting at this point, obviously, the scandal hasn't broken yet. It won't break until 2019. But anyways, I figured it was worth addressing in 2017 as well. From here, we head into the 2018 season, coming fresh off of that extension. Altuve is a bit of a down, at least for him. He hits uh, 316 with an 837 OPS. That's a good for a 130 OPS plus. With 13 home runs, 17 stolen bases, 29 doubles, 61 RBIs, and 84 runs. And that's good for 5.1 war. Despite this, though, there are some highlights throughout the season. For instance, at one point in the season, Altuve actually sets a record for getting a hit in 10 consecutive at-bats. He becomes an all-star for the fifth year in a row, also wins his fifth Silver Slugger Award in a row. But he does actually uh, start to show some signs of wear and tear and age as he goes on the injured list for the first time in his entire career on July 29th due to right knee discomfort. It ends up plaguing him all year long, even after he returns. So he plays in just 137 games that year. And when he came back from the injured list, he DH'd for the rest of the season as the Astros tried to keep him fresh for the playoffs. By the way, for the record, despite the down year from Altuve, Houston does win 103 games that season anyways. This actually works because Altuve actually does pretty darn well in the playoffs that year. Uh, Houston ends up beating the then-Indians, now-Guardians, in three games in the ALDS. Uh, Altuve hits 286 with an 857 OPS. He has one home run, two RBIs, and four runs scored in the series. 
And then they ended up losing to Boston, the ALCS, in five games. Here, Altuve does struggle, hitting just 250 with a double and two RBIs. In the offseason, Altuve undergoes knee surgery to fix a patella avulsion fracture, which uh, actually did something similar to my knee when I was in high school wrestling. And it changes everything the way you run for quite a while. It slowed me way down, I know. When it happened to me, I went from being able to run, gosh, I was running near five-minute miles at one point to losing to almost like seven-minute miles for a good couple years. So it could really slow you down coming back from a knee injury like that. And we actually see that in the coming years as pretty much from 2019 through 2021, we're going to see Altuve stop stealing bases for a while. And likely that is a trade-off from that patellar injury. Now... But we come into 2019, and this is once again a year of destiny for the Astros. The team itself wins 107 games that year, which is just an outrageous season as a team. And Altuve is fantastic as well. Even though he doesn't steal bases like he used to this season, he hits 298, which is the first time he's actually hit under 300 since his rookie year in 2011. He has 31 home runs with 74 RBIs, 89 runs, 27 doubles, and just six stolen bases on the season. He's worth 3.8 war. He homered in five consecutive games at one point in April which actually, over that five games, he six home runs total, which is just absurd. He did return to the injury list in May with a hamstring strain, and I think I've talked about this on other podcasts, but you have to wonder sometimes if these things end up being connected. He ends up missing 35 games because of that hamstring strain. The Astros obviously winning 107 games to make the playoffs that year, and they face the Rays in the ALDS. He hits an absurd 350 with a 1.281 OPS, with three home runs, two doubles, five RBIs, and four runs scored in five games against the Rays. His 11th postseason home run was the most for a second baseman in Major League Baseball history up until that point. And they end up winning the series, but moving on to the ALCS, where they face the Yankees. And again, Altuve is just fantastic. It's 348 with two more home runs, a double, three RBIs, six runs scored, and a 1.097 OPS in six games. This includes, in Game 6 in this series, Altuve walks off Araldis Chapman with a home run to send Houston to the World Series again. He's named the ALCS MVP. This is an infamous game. If you go back and watch the walk-off, it's huge. It's exciting. You see the whole Houston crowd go nuts. But if you often hear people referred to as the sort of buzzer gate surrounding Altuve, he's rounding the bases, coming up towards home, and everyone starts jumping up and down and mobbing him at home plate. And they start pulling off his shirt. And you can see Altuve try very hard to keep them from pulling his shirt off and start yelling at them to not take his shirt off. And many will claim, and you can see it pretty clear as day, that there's something on his chest. It looks like a, like, a, like a buzzer, or is what most people accuse him of. Something that was giving him what the pitches were, and part of all of that scandal. Because don't forget, we don't actually learn about the scandal until next year. This is where the first seeds of that scandal start, is here in this, uh, in this video. And it's neither here nor there. I've never necessarily heard definitive proof as to what it was. I'm not necessarily making excuses for him. Uh, it's like when we were talking a couple episodes ago last season on steroids. If you get caught doing steroids and they have proof, I hold that against you fully. If it's something that I can't necessarily prove, I understand and probably believe that he was cheating. He was probably using a buzzer. But there are enough things that it could also be that are legal. In fact, there's a, a series of proved biometric monitoring devices that he could have been wearing. I'd probably lean towards the area that this is all part of that scandal. Also, let's be fair, if he wasn't wearing something he wasn't supposed to, why would he have been so self-conscious about them taking off his shirt? Who knows? Either way, it is a huge moment for Jose Altuve and the legend and legacy of Jose Altuve walking off a Rawls Chapman, who's pretty much the best closer in baseball at the time. It's just a huge moment. And so the Astros go back to the World Series and they face the Nationals. Altuve plays well. It's 303. He only has one RBI, but he does have three doubles over seven games. And the Astros do lose to the Nationals. While they may have been a team of destiny, the Nationals were even more the team of destiny that year. We head into 2020, and obviously, for very obvious reasons, 2020 is a strange year for pretty much everybody, let's be fair. But also, it definitely seemed to have affected Altuve. He suddenly plummets from hitting 298 the year before to 219 on the season. He only has five home runs, he plays in 48 games. And just seems out of whack the entire season. Never really looks right. Houston does make the playoffs that season. And that shortened sort of 60-game season uh, with the extra playoff teams. They end up facing the Twins in the AL wildcard, the uh, three-game series there. And while Houston does sweep the Twins, Altuve does not record a hit in that wildcard series. While while he struggles there, 
they do advance to the ALDS going up against Oakland. And here we see vintage playoff Altuve. He hits 400. He has two home runs, five RBIs, and five runs scored in the series. And that launches them back there into the ALCS where they do lose to Tampa in seven games, but not because of Altuve. Altuve con continues his playoff heroics here as he hits 462 with three more home runs over those seven games, five RBIs, and six runs scored. We've talked about when we talk about like David Ortiz or Jose Bautista or some of these other players that we've looked at, the playoffs are where you make your legend, right? We, we, we can talk all we want about regular season performances, and that's what makes you a player who you are and, and builds sort of the statistics that we're going to base your legacy on. But when you talk about why you remember someone, if you talk about why the average fan remembers a player or becomes a fan of a player, it's because of the way they play in the playoffs. When they're on national TV and the whole world is watching, and Altuve always stepped up in those moments. Now, was it because they're cheating? Possibly. Absolutely. That is certainly something that will always linger in the back of our minds regarding Altuve's performance, but it's hard to argue that he isn't one of the best playoff hitters. So we jump from 2020 to 2021, and now we're back to the, a full season, but a weird season still. It's worth noting uh, the start of the season was delayed. We see Altuve, though, jump back to form, especially when it comes to his power. The average doesn't quite come back. And he still isn't stealing bases at this point, but he cranks out 31 home runs while hitting 278. He has 32 doubles and 839 OPS in the season, which is good for a 127 OPS plus. He has 83 RBIs, 117 runs scored. He goes to the All-Star game. That's his seventh All-Star game appearance. In June of that season, he ends up hitting a walk-off Grand Slam to win one game. Comes up and leads off the next game. Hits a home run in that app at two. It's the first time in Major League Baseball history that someone's had a walk-off Grand Slam and then followed up with a home run in their next at bat to lead off. The Astros win 95 games that season and go to the playoffs once again. And Altuve hits well in the ALDS against the White Sox. He hits 313 with a home run, three RBIs, and nine runs scored over four games. Nine runs! He averaged over two runs a game across the series. That's insane. He then, they go into the ALCS against Boston. And he struggles there. He doesn't quite hit for average. I think he hits below 200. But he does hit two more home runs in the series, along with four RBIs and three runs. The Astros do win the series, though. And once again, for, uh, what, the third time, I believe, in the four, uh, four seasons preceding this, go to the World Series again, this time facing the Atlanta Braves. And this is another one where, again, Altuve doesn't necessarily hit for great average. He has just six hits in the six-game series, uh, hitting just 222 on the series. But he has two more home runs added in there. Uh, so it's two RBIs as well, and he scored another six runs. Now, from here, we move into just this past season. We go into 2022. And Altuve has a great season. He's 32 at this point. This was his 12th season, and he has a really solid, really nice season. He hits 300 with a 921 OPS. That's good for a 160 OPS. He cranks out another 28 home runs this past season with 39 doubles. It's just a ton of power. He gets back to stealing bases. He steals 18 bases this past season, and he doesn't quite score the RBI numbers. He only has 57 RBIs on the season. He does score 103 runs. That's breaking that 100-run mark for the fourth time in his career. And it was just a really great season. He is an all-star again. He wins a silver slugger again. And obviously, Houston goes to the playoffs again. And here, once again, they start running through the playoffs. Now, what's interesting is this is the first season where, and maybe it's age, or maybe it was just he wasn't hot at the right time or whatnot, but Altuve largely struggles in the playoffs. He first, they face Seattle in the American League Division Series, where he does not even register a single hit in three games. Uh, across, what, 17 plate appearances, no RBIs, he scores one run, basically because he gets on base thanks to a walk, he just really struggles, has a, zero, a .059 OPS for the series, but again, it's also only three games, so they move on the ALCS and they face the Yankees, and Altuve again struggles, he only gets three hits in the four game series, hits 188 in the series, the 528 OPS, he has one double, and he ends walking twice, and that's it. So really for the first time, we're seeing Altuve start to struggle in the playoffs. And then we get to the World Series against Philly, and Altuve starts showing some signs of life again. He hits 308 over the six-game series. He has eight hits with two doubles. He scores five runs. He has no RBIs in the series, but does steal a base. He has a 718 OPS over the series. So again, this is one of his few lackluster playoff series. He is a big contributor when it counts in the World Series. And once again, Houston goes on and wins the World Series. It's worth noting, before we get into the big picture stuff, before Altuve came to the Houston Astros, the Astros had never won a single World Series in their history. He shows up, and they win three of them. 
in his time period, in those 12 years that he played for Houston. That is remarkable. And I think regardless of how you feel about the cheating scandal, and regardless, I think, somewhat of how you feel about the handling of that situation and the buzzer and all of those things, you know, to think of what Jose Altuve must mean to the people of Houston and to Houston fans, and, and frankly, also to think about the bigger picture, too, the people of Venezuela and from his hometown. He's probably really, even though we're talking about a team that had Jeff Bagwell on it, had Roger Clemens for a while, had Craig Biggio, Jose Altuve has the argument for being the greatest Houston Astro of all time because of the level of success that he has had when on this team. And if nothing else, maybe not the greatest, but may have the argument for the most impactful Houston Astro of all time. It's not like he did it single-handedly, but he had a huge part in all of this. And it looks like they're rebuilding for the long haul as well, as they just got Jordan Alvarez, who looks like a superstar, Kyle Tucker, who looks like a superstar, Jeremy Pena looked really good this season, you saw Michael Brantley. That's a really good team still, and they really started to build up that pitching staff back up against... Uh, it's not just Verlander. You're also looking at Luis Garcia and some of their, their really great pitchers that are starting to show up too that are young and going to be there a long time. You have to wonder, I know he's 32, but we could see a lot more postseason appearances here for Jose Altuve. And that's a really exciting thing to see what kind of how he builds on this legacy and how he continues to make the argument for maybe being the most impactful long-term Houston Astro of all time. And while we ponder that question, before we jump into the big picture of all the, you know Altuve's, Altuve's career and his Hall of Fame chances and whatnot, let's take a quick break here real quick, and we'll be back in just a second. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Now, let's talk a little bit about the big picture for Jose Altuve. And I guess it's with the goal of answering the question of, do we think Jose Altuve has a shot at the Hall of Fame? And it's an interesting question. So I know we talked at the beginning, I sort of talked about where he ranks amongst second basemen right now with a lot of his career numbers and where he could try to get to, you know, getting the top 10 in home runs amongst second basemen, getting up to the top 20 in stolen bases, things like that. And the first thing I want to state is, I think it's, you can't look at Jose Altuve and hold him to the same standards as as we do, say, other positions that tend to hit more home runs, tend to do more of those other things where we can't really say he doesn't have 300 home runs or he doesn't have those things. The second basemen don't usually do that, right? So it's an unfair standard to say. I, like, what I tend to think of is I want to hold him to the standard of his peers, his other second basemen throughout history, not so much necessarily all the other positions as well. But if you look at postseason, first off, he is in the top 10 in career playoff at-bats. He's number seven with 425 plate appearances in the playoffs. That's awesome. In plate appearances in one season, back in 2019 during that epic run, he had 82 plate appearances in that season in the playoffs, which is third all-time. He, let's see, what else? He is seventh all-time. He is seventh all-time in plate appearances in the playoffs, right behind Kenny Lofton. We have him at number three all-time in runs scored in the playoffs for career. Derek Jeter's number one with 111. And Bernie Williams is number two at 83. Tuve is number three at 78. So he's creeping up there on Bernie Williams there. One more good playoff uh, series or two, and he'll be above him. And when you think about it, so Jose Tuve is 425 career plate appearances in the playoffs. Derek Jeter is 734. So if he can get up to that number, which is a lot, that's a, a lot, even closer, he can maybe chase down that number. So top three in runs scored in the playoffs 
ever is pretty darn impressive, right? Now, if we look at in a season, though, if you're talking about what is the greatest single season from a run-scored perspective in the playoffs, Jose Altuve is tied for number one. His 2021 season where he scored 21 runs in 77 plate appearances is tied with Carlos Beltran from 2004 when he scored 21 runs in 56 plate appearances. So he's tied for number one in one of the greatest playoff runs of all time for a guy whose job is to score runs. In terms of career hits in the playoffs, he's tied at number four with someone we ranked on the list just last episode, Jorge Posada. So he's number four in playoff hits with 103. When we get into in a season, he's also tied for number three there with 25 hits in a single playoff season. He's number four in total bases in the playoffs for a career with 190. He's about a little under 30, a little over 30, I should say, behind number two, Bernie Williams and Manny Ramirez. But you can see again, he's just right up there in total career numbers for the playoffs, which is just really impressive. He is number eight in playoff doubles. He is... This is the fun one. He is number two all time, not among second basemen, but amongst all players in career playoff home runs. Number one is Manny Ramirez with 29 career home runs. Jose Altuve is number two with 23. And for the record, Manny did this in 493 plate appearances. Altuve is at 425. It doesn't seem like we're going to see the end of Jose Altuve in the playoffs anytime soon. Could he get six more home runs? It's, I think it's really likely, given his propensity for playoff home runs, that he gets six more home runs in his career and at least ties Manny Ramirez for the all-time home run record in the playoffs. In terms of runs batted in in the playoffs, he's number eight all-time. He's number 10 in singles in the playoffs. Easily one of the greatest playoff performers of all time. You can internally decide whether or not you feel that has something to do with the cheating scandals and the sign stealing and all those things. And I totally understand and respect if you're willing to look past these accomplishments because of that. I totally understand. It's not the way I view it completely. Now, the question is, Hall of Fame or no Hall of Fame, right? And so we talked playoffs, but let's revisit some of those numbers in the beginning. He is 24th all-time in Jaws amongst second basemen all-time. And if you look, there are 21 current Hall of Fame second basemen that have already been inducted. And... If you look, he actually has higher Jaws numbers than four Hall of Famers. He has higher Jaws numbers than Bid McPhee, Tony Lazari, Johnny Evers, and Red Schoendiest. I think I said that wrong, but we'll find out. And so he's already outperformed four different Hall of Fame second basemen in terms of Jaws. Now, there are um, some interesting caveats to that. You know, he still is behind other hitters who haven't quite made the Hall of Fame yet. For instance, Jeff Kent is above him in Jaws, where Jeff Kent has 45.6 Jaws. Jose Altuve is 43.1. Ian Kinsler has 46.1 Jaws. Dustin Madroy is 46.5. We even get up to Chase Utley at 56.9. Lou Whitaker at 56.5. Bobby Grish over at 58.7. Uh, Robinson Cano at 58.7. So there are some non-Hall of Famers are way ahead of him. Now, Cano's not going to make the Hall of Fame because of steroids, most likely. But again, it's worth just noting that there are, while we can note the Hall of Famers, he's already ahead. He is behind a few non-Hall of Famers as well. Now, when we start looking at things like war, to go from Jaws to war, and it's worth noting war is a component of Jaws, he is at 46.5 war. In the second half of this podcast that will be released later, once I get it put together, I set for him, what is the baseline? Kind of like we did with Jose Ramirez, where I had Jose Ramirez on one side, and I said, where did I want him to get to? And I said, Ron Santo, who had around 70 war for his career, is where I feel like Jose Ramirez needs to get to if he wants to get inducted in the Hall of Fame. And I think kind of looking at second baseman, where we need to get to, I think some of the average numbers can be a little skewed because if you look, second base can be a little top heavy in terms of their war. If you look at the 21 second basemen who, make the, who are in the Hall of Fame, four of them, the top four, are Roger Hornsby, with 127.3 war, Eddie Collins with 124.4 war, Napoli Jawe at 106.9 war, and Joe Morgan at 100.4 war. Now, obviously, I do not want to remove their accomplishments from this conversation. Those are the greatest second basemen of all time. Uh, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But then you jump from Joe Morgan at 100.4 war down to 84.8 war. And I guess the caveat I'm just trying to say is that those top four are outliers, right? And if you look at 
when you get an average, right? So the average war for a Hall of Fame second baseman right now sits at about 69 war, right? And the thing with that is that number is being pulled up by those by those outlier war numbers, right? By those 100 plus war numbers is really pushing that level a lot higher than where the majority of the second base Hall of Famers are. So really the range for the second base Hall of Famers runs from somewhere at Charlie Geringer at 84.8 war all the way down to Red Schoendeist at 44.5, right? So about a 40 war span or so, right? If you take the average of those numbers, removing those outliers, you end up with an average closer to 58 war, right? And that makes to me a lot more sense um, and frankly argues a lot of other players like Chase Utley, who we'll talk about one day or even, you know, I mean, Jeff Kent obviously still falls short of that 55.4 war, so is Ian Kinsler. But, you know, I think that's a more accurate number to what we should consider an elite Hall of Fame level second, in my opinion. Now, that puts Altuve at 46.5 war. And if you look just this past year, you know, since he's about, what, 11 or 12 war short of that number that I'm talking about, he did just put up a season of 5.1 war, right? So let's say he continues playing at roughly that level, somewhere between three and five for the next couple seasons. So he plays till about 16 seasons or so. So he's about 36 or 37, okay? And he puts up somewhere between three to five war for those years. So we'll take the average of that and say four, right? So he plays four more seasons at four more war. So he gets another 16 war. That would put him up above Let's see. Well, don't put him at, if you add 16 at 246, that's 52, 60. So put him around 62 war, right? Somewhere right in there, which would be above, you know, it'd be just below Jackie Robinson in terms of his war number. It would put him, you know, just above Billy Herman, who's in the Hall of Fame, and Joe Gordon, who's in the Hall of Fame. It would put him just below Craig Biggio, who just elected into the, you know, the Hall of Fame recently. So I think that puts him in a reasonable place for election consideration. If he really wants to cement himself, though, Kind of the target needs to be, I think, Robbie Alomar, who's the 12th highest second baseman by war at 67 war, and Ryan Sandberg, or Ryan Sandberg at 68 war, who's the 11th. And for me, that's kind of the range I would look at if you're saying, what is the target for Jose Altuve to get to, to have a, a true argument for the Hall of Fame? I think that's where he needs to shoot for it. Somewhere in that 67 to 68 war range, you have to Ryan Sandberg or Roberto Alomar. And I think that'll be more what we're looking for here. You know, and talking again about sort of where he ranks all time in some of these numbers. You talk about, say, his home runs. We talked about how he is, you know, he needs about eh, 60 home runs. He gets 60 home runs more over the rest of his career, and he will be in the top 10 for home runs for second baseman. And I think that's doable. You know, right now he's hitting, he hits just 28 in the last season. He hit 31 the year before that. I think it's reasonable to keep hitting for some power for at least one or two more seasons. And, you know, and at that point, you're talking getting 60 seems pretty easy, right? Let's say, you know, he does somewhere between, you know, 20 and 30 for the next four seasons that we're talking about, right? So we take the average of that, and that's uh, 25. And, and we'll even give him the low number. Let's say he hits 20 for the next four seasons. So that's another 80 home runs, right? That puts him somewhere in the range of, let's see here. So he's got 192. He gets another 80. That gives him... 272 home runs and among second basemen that would be that would put him sixth all time right behind Ryan Ryan Sandberg and just ahead of Joe Morgan so that would be I mean obviously a very strong argument for him if he could get roughly like I said about another 80 home runs that could really make a huge argument for him if he can somehow get up to you know 300 there's only three second basemen who have more than 300 home runs Roger Hornsby Robinson Cano and Jeff Kent so you know, that's a, a strong argument in his favor as well there. If you talk about hits, he is at roughly 1,900, just over 1,900 hits, right? 1,935, right? He is currently getting, you know, roughly, it's a different hitting era than when he was getting 200 hits a season. And he's trying to do different things, hitting for more power and whatnot. But let's say he gets a, another 150, uh, 150 hits over the next four seasons, right? So that's 600 hits, right? Added on to, yes, I'm doing this on a calculator because I am not good at math. It puts him at... 2,553 hits for his career, right? So let's say he gets, you know, right around there. That would put him amongst second baseman for hits. That bumps him up into the top, roughly right at the top 10, right in that range. He'd be up with like Julio Franco at 
2,586 hits. It would put him right up there with Joe Morgan above Ryan Sandberg. So, I mean, again, you're seeing this thing where he could really start making an argument if he starts getting those numbers up there. And that's just saying, what if he only plays another four years? Depending on how his body holds up and how his level of play is able to sustain itself, four years might be selling him short. It's hard to know, especially as he can shift later in his career, thanks to the emergence of Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker and their ability to go get free agents and Alex Bregman still be on that team, then at some point, can he shift into being one of those more elder statesman roles where he can continue to tack on some of those numbers after this sort of four-year period we're talking about and continue to accumulate stats, playing a smaller role on that team and giving it to the youngsters. So I think four years might even be selling him short there. But if you ask me that, you add in his playoff heroics and being one of the best playoff hitters of all time, his shot at getting to be the home run leader in playoff history, I think he's a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. Now the question is in the caveat that holds on there is, what do we do with the cheating scandal? And you'll see, we'll talk about this when we rank him in a second here. I'm going to ding him for it, obviously. But I think if you look up and down the Hall of Fame, I've said this before, I think most of the Hall of Fame voters are hypocrites about this sort of thing, in that they unanimously elected David Ortiz, despite him getting popped for steroids, and yet holding against Bonds or Sosa. I think it's just nutty. And it drives me crazy. And I love David Ortiz, and it drives me crazy. I think the committee gets a little selective on what they want to remember, what they don't. And... I have a feeling Jose Otuve is so beloved that they will forget about this. Part of it, you know, and some of it is that I'll say this. I don't like the Astros. I've never been a big Astros fan. I've always rooted against them. I didn't necessarily hold against them the sign-stealing thing. In some ways, part of it for me is sign-stealing is a part of baseball. It always has been. It always will be. It's just a part of the game. It's part of the gamesmanship of the game. Obviously, using videos and buzzers and all these things, it's a step too far in that situation, but, and it is cheating. It's against the rules, right? It's stated in the rules. You can't do it. And it's against, I don't look at it the same way as I do some of the other things that we think of as cheating because it's always been a part of the game. What I hold against the Astros, uh, against the Astros is things like how they acted when they traded for Edwin Diaz after his domestic abuse issues and they flaunted it in front of a lot of their female employees and uh, were very aggressive about it. Not the image we want baseball to be presenting about these sort of things. And I hold that against the Astros in a big way, but I don't know. Like I said, I, I totally respect if you're going to ding Altuve or keep him out of the Hall of Fame for that. I, it's just, that, that's not going to hold me back, okay? Now the question is, where do we rank him? As we know, we have our big old list. Let's pull that bad boy up. So, just to reiterate the list, starting at number one, we still have Greg Maddox reigning supreme, Ichiro Suzuki at number two, George Bright at number three, Adrian Beltre at number four, Clayton Kershaw at number five, Edgar Martinez at number six, Sandy Koufax at number seven, Tony Gwynn at number eight, Hank Greenberg at number 9, Joey Votto at number 10, Ron Santo at number 11, Kenny Loft at number 12, Addy Joss at 13, Johan Santana at number 14, and David Ortiz at number 15. Skipping ahead here, some notables. We have Jose Ramirez there at 18. We have Homer and Baker at 20. We have Jim Cat at 25. We have Jorge Posada at 30. We have Matt Williams at number 35. We have Jason Bay at number 40. At number 45, we have Mike Sweeney. And rounding out the list, we have James Paxton at 48. It's actually kind of fun. After a part two of this episode, we'll uh, break our 50-player ranked mark here. But, uh, you know, when I'm trying to think of a player to compare Jose Otuve to, I try to think of a, a contemporary of his who went through some of the same things. Just because of his size, wasn't a very big uh, hitter, and ended up becoming the heart of a franchise despite being overshadowed by some bigger-name stars. Turned himself from just a speed and hit tool hitter to a power hitter with speed and became a great fielder at his position. And if you haven't picked it up yet, this sounds a lot like Jose Ramirez, doesn't it? At number 18 on the list. And I think that's a really good comparison point. And let's actually take a look at them head to head here. So if you go through, Ramirez has only played nine years where Altuve's played 12. So their numbers don't quite line up in the sense of how many stolen bases they have. But Ramirez and Altuve have the same amount of home runs at 192. They have basically identical OPS pluses. Altuve is at 128 OPS plus for his career, whereas Jose Ramirez is at 129 OPS plus for his career. They basically have similar OPSs in general. Uh, Altuve is an 830 OPS, whereas Ramirez is an 857 OPS for his career. They both are doubles machines. They've hit around the same amount of triples. They have almost identical amount of RBIs, which speaks well of Jose Ramirez because since he's had three fewer years, you can start to get a vibe of how similar these players can be. Uh, Altuve is at 46.5 war for his career. Ramirez is at 40.3 war. I think these are really interesting comparison points. When you start to come down to some of their ratios, it starts to fall apart a little bit. But again, 
it's interesting because Altuve's early career, obviously, he wasn't a power hitter. And I think that weighs in here where, like, you look at, say, at-bats per home run. Altuve has 32.8 at-bats per home run, whereas Jose Ramirez is at 21.6. They are very similar base runners, which is not surprising. And obviously, to a certain degree, while Ramirez has been okay in the playoffs, he has not nearly put up the numbers that Jose Altuve has in the playoffs. Ramirez only has two home runs in 134 plate appearances to 23 home runs in uh, 425 plate appearances. And some of that's the Guardians obviously not making the playoffs as often as the Astros have or gone going as deep as the Astros. But it's worth noting he has struggled in the postseason in a way that Altuve hasn't. So looking at these two things side by side and then Jose Ramirez hasn't, doesn't have a cheating scandal to his name. And I think that that has to count for something. So I think looking at the two of them, if I had to rank them, I think a good spot for Altuve might be right behind Jose Ramirez going in at 19. Now, how does that rank up against, just to give us an idea, above Paul Molitor? So let's take a real quick look at that comparison as well. Now, we have it going the other way. Altuve's only played 20, uh, 12 seasons. Molitor played 20 seasons. So obviously the numbers are going to be a little skewed. Molitor was a 306 hitter for his career. Altuve is a 307 hitter. They almost have identical OPSs. Altuve is an 830 OPS for his career. Paul Molitor an 817 OPS for his career. Molitor had 234 home runs, but again, that's in 20 seasons. We should expect to see Altuve catch up to Molitor there. They have nearly identical OPS pluses, where Jose Altuve was at 128 OPS plus. Molitor was at 122 OPS plus. They have nearly identical OBPs at 362 for Altuve, 369 for Molitor. Molitor obviously gets to get over 3,000 hits, but again, he played for 20 seasons. If Altuve plays for 20 seasons, he'll probably get pretty darn close too. As we were seeing with, I think, really honestly, if he can get even up to, you know, 18 or so, I think he could really have a good challenge for 3,000 hits if he stays healthy. If you look at war from that uh, particular sort of angle, let's see. So Molitor obviously is 75.6 war, but whereas, again, also was 46.5. But if you look at the comparison, between, let's see, Molitor was about 3.78 war per season. Whereas Altuve currently is at 30, oh my gosh, actually a little identical. I just did the math with, so Molitor averaged about 3.875 war per season. Jose Altuve also averages so far in his career 3.875 war per season. That's, I did not plan that. I did not know that was going to happen. So I think that's a really good comparison here. They are very similar players. Obviously just Molitor has the advantage based on the length of his career. Now, with that being said, you're not going to knock him for that. So you get this trade-off of, do you try to predict what L2V will go and give him bonuses for that? Or do you give an actual bonus to the player who did it, right, so far? So I think I think you give it to uh, Molitor here as well. Molitor was very good in the playoffs, by the way. They, he didn't go to the playoffs as often, but did win one of the few World Series for the Brewers. Is a hero in the Brewers community. And in uh, 132 plate appearances in the playoffs, has six home runs. Uh, three triples and four doubles with 21 RBIs. So if, especially if you look at from the RBI standpoint, Molitor wasn't even near Altuve's plate appearances in the playoffs. Yet got pretty close to catching up to him in about halfway in RBI. And it had a 1.026 OPS in the playoffs. So it was very good. Just obviously was in the playoffs a lot less than Altuve has been so far. I think obviously I'm going to lean towards the, the current Hall of Famer with 3,000 hits. If I'm looking at basically every other aspect saying that they are identical players. If Altuve gets up to, like, say, three... 250, 300 home runs or so in the next, obviously we'll bump him up there differently. But given where he is right now, plus a little projection, I think I still put him behind Paul Molitor on our list. And I suppose there's just one last player comparison here to make, and then I'll shut up. And that's, does Jose Altuve go before Home Run Baker? Now, if you remember from the Home Run Baker episode, he's kind of the progenitor of the home run, but he played from 1908 to 1922. He played 14 years, so just a few years more than Altuve. And only hit 96 home runs, which was a lot for his time period. He also hit 103 triples. It's a weird and different time in baseball but they both actually had identical career 307 batting averages Altuve is a 362 OBP Homer and Baker is a 363 OBP which is uh, wild to me Altuve is an 830 OPS Homer and Baker is an 805 OPS Altuve is at 128 OPS plus whereas Homer and Baker is at 135 OPS plus when you talk about war if you go down to look at their war numbers Homer and Baker is at 62.8 whereas Jose Altuve is at 46.5 so obviously Baker's got more war than he does but he also has the extra season. So I'm not putting too much weight on that per se, but you start looking at some of the other numbers and they met, it's just wild. They match up really well. But there's a part of me that's willing to give Homer and Baker some of the historical advantage, obviously, for doing something that no one had, been, had done before in baseball with the home runs. But I, I think that at the end of the day, I'm, I'm leaning Altuve here. And 
a big part of that is while Baker had three playoff home runs in his career, but also if it's 23, I think I'm willing to take that playoff performance and give him a bump up there. And I feel like there are arguments to say that I could have, you could have put him up even above Ramirez or put him up at 17. But again, I think that's the knock I give him for the cheating scandal because I'm going to knock him down a few pegs for that. And so for me, that's, I think right there, I think I'm going to put him above Homer and Baker right after Paul Molitor. So between Paul Molitor at number 19 and Homer and Baker, what is now 21. So that would make Jose Altuve our new number 20 on the list. All right. So that is our episode. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed it. What I'm going to do is hopefully later in the week, I will release part two of this podcast. And what I think we'll do is either that or I'll push it to our next episode where we'll talk about essentially the two guys I think Altuve would need to get to to make the Hall of Fame, which is Ryan Sandberg and Robbie Almar. And we'll talk about those two players and then we'll put them on the list as well and show you where we think Jose Altuve needs to get to from there. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this. Keep an eye out for that. I will, I think I'm going to try and shoot for it. I've got a kind of a busy weekend, but then maybe try and get that out. And then hopefully after that, I'm hoping to uh, get someone on the podcast, finally get a guest here on in season two. And what I'd like to do is do Bryce Harper and talk about Bryce Harper here because you want to talk about uh, fantastic all-time perform- uh, playoff performances. Bryce Harper had himself a heck of a playoffs and I think it deserves a conversation. So uh, that's what I'm looking for guests to do right now with that. And uh, I'll let you know when I find out who that's going to be. But until then, folks, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you so much for tuning in. And my name is Daniel Port. I am your host, as always. And this has been Long Ball Legacies on the Petrolist Podcast Network. You can reach us at the podcast either on Twitter at LB Legacies, or you can email us at longballlegacies at gmail.com. If you have any players you'd like to hear us talk about, if you have any comments or any pushback, if you want to argue with us, we talk about where you'd like things ranked on the list, what you agree with, what you don't, or just tell us about things we can do better or things we're doing well we'd love to hear from you so much here at Longball Legacies and other than that we'll see you in two weeks thank you again enjoy your weekend